Hey guys, and welcome to episode number 61 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. As per usual, you're joined by your hosts, Tierra and Jack, for another Q&A today. And before we get stuck into all the great questions, we just wanted to remind you guys that if you enjoyed the episode, please remember to share it on your social media and tag myself, tag Tierra, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. Also, if you were interested in checking out our coaching services, then please head over to our website, www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com, or you can also find it in the show notes or any of our Instagram bios as well. So uh, kickstart these questions with a great one, and this is, what factors would you consider before deciding to coach yourself? Damn, this is such a good question, and I think it's a good question to ask both Jack and I, because... Jack and I are both currently coaching ourselves. Yeah, and Tierra also coached herself for her first competition, so and her second one as well. <laughs> Hell yeah, I did. Uh, but yeah, so you know, factors to consider. I think that there's quite a few fundamental factors to consider before you decide to coach yourself. I think two of the most important ones are probably just, you know, having a good education when it comes to nutrition and exercise, you know, just knowing those basic principles when it comes to sports nutrition, you know, body composition manipulation, how much food you should be eating depending on which sort of phase that you are in. Also, how to set up a proper training program, you know, how to accurately track your training, how to ensure that you are providing, you know, enough stimulus and enough volume to your specific muscle groups that you are trying to prioritize during your growth phases. And also, you know, managing recovery, everything like that. And Jack, what else would you say in terms of, you know, training and nutrition? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say you need a basic knowledge of training and nutrition. I think you need quite a advanced level of knowledge of training and nutrition and feeling very confident about yourself and also the experience aspect. So if, you're, if, you, if it's your first competition and you sort of never really, like maybe only a couple of months ago, you sort of just heard about competing and maybe you're in like year one or two of your training, then that those are signs to me that probably shouldn't be coaching yourself for competing because like it can go wrong quite quickly and it's not sort of one of those sports where you do it just for the fun of it coach yourself like it because you do need to end up at quite an advanced stage like being a sufficient amount of leanness to compete mm-hmm. And I think that another huge aspect of this, and arguably one of the most important, is that are you able to hold yourself accountable? You know, are you able to take responsibility for your actions? And you don't require someone there by your side the entire time, you know, guiding you, assisting you, holding your hand through the process. Are you actually capable of doing this by yourself? I think that is a huge, huge component. And I would argue that you actually need to have years of, you know, proof that you are able to hold yourself accountable. You know, not just saying like, oh, you know, I've been going to the gym for the last four, eight weeks, five days a week. You know, I'm ready to do a comp prep or I'm ready to dive in and coach myself. I would argue that you need to be living this lifestyle for years and you need to have been able to demonstrate to yourself 
and demonstrate to other people too that you know you're not willing to fall off the bandwagon for weeks or months at a time you know you're not chopping and changing you are truly truly holding yourself accountable and living this lifestyle day in day out and you're not making excuses you know for why you can't keep progressing yeah i completely agree and like for example if you're in your off season right now or just improvement season or whatever it may be and you find that already you like you're not really sticking to your diet even though you want to or you're missing maybe an on average a training session each week or every second week then if you're doing that in your off season yes you could argue that oh I'll have extra motivation in the comp prep but if you can't do it in your off season then I don't see you being able to coach yourself and doing in the in prep and yeah that's I think Tierra made a great point Absolutely. And I think that if you are going to consider coaching yourself as well, you need to be able to set up a very, very solid game plan and be able to execute that game plan. And, you know, I think that you need to be prepared to track a lot of variables and pay attention to a lot of things. So I'm not just talking about tracking your morning body weight or your macros, but I'm also talking about, you know, following a very specific and tailored and structured training program and tracking all your lifts and ensuring that, you know, you are progressing with all of your lifts as well and not getting emotionally attached to things. And I think that you need to be capable of truly analyzing the data in a very objective manner and, you know, be able to make those calls of, okay, Perhaps I need to lose a little bit of body weight or maybe I need to do a maintenance phase. Maybe I need to gain a little bit of body weight. Maybe I need to push myself a little bit harder in this lift. You know, if that is one of my goals to progress in that lift, get stronger, further, you know, develop my physique, whatever it is, you know, I think that you really need to have that objective eye and remove yourself from it emotionally and not look at it so subjectively. And I think another very important thing to emphasize, especially this is coming from me because I do coach myself. You know, if you do decide to coach yourself, that certainly doesn't mean that, you know, you immediately become closed minded and you cut yourself off from, you know, anything else that you already know. And you have the mentality of, oh, you know, I know absolutely everything. You know, there's nothing else to learn. You still need to be open-minded. You still need to be open to learning new ideas, learning new protocols. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are all by yourself. You know, you are still surrounded by mentors and people, you know, that you can learn from and people who can educate you and support you. And you are still open to hearing other people's constructive criticism, you know, and what their opinions are. And you can decide what you want to do with those, but you're still open to hearing them. Okay. You just, you have to remain open-minded, but yeah, I think those are some of the main things. Jack, as, cause you're coaching yourself right now. Do you have anything else to add to that? Uh, not really, to be honest. I think we made a, some very good points and I don't see anything wrong with coaching yourself if you feel confident that you can do it and that you have enough knowledge surrounding training and nutrition. Um, but yeah, personally, I would always, if it's your first time doing anything, I would start off with a coach and then decide whether or not you need one um, to continue forwards. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember in your first comp prep, you know, where would you have been without Alan, right? Alan was such an incredible coach for you. He taught you so much, created such an amazing support network for you. And to be honest, I think that Alan really helped you. He probably really helped both of us kind of get both of us on our own two feet and almost very capable of, you know, taking the ropes into our own hands and then going off to coach ourselves. Yeah, and to be honest, I'll probably get a coach or maybe even just a consultation with a coach, probably Alan, for my next prep as well. Not because I don't know what to do, more of just the the ability to discuss something with someone and um, just talk it through when I voice any doubts that I have and just ensure that I have a second opinion, which is invaluable. And even... Um, even yeah, top coaches do that as well and top athletes have coaches. Yeah, of course. I think no matter what, if you are deciding to take this into your own hands, certainly don't cut yourself off from a support network. Like Jack, I don't know where I'd be with without you right now during this comp prep if I couldn't talk to you about certain things every single day. Like I, I can't imagine being alone through this. So still take advantage of, you know, your resources, the very kind and educated people around you because, you know, everyone is always willing to help. So just don't cut yourself off. Never get into that mentality of I know everything, you know, I can do it all myself because there's always something else to learn. All right, so we're gonna move on to this next question and I'm excited to ask this one because I think that it actually relates to Jack's situation quite well right now. It says, tips on how to not eat crap when calories are high. I still have over 300 grams of fruit and over 400 grams of veg per day. Yeah, so this is a good question, and I'm sure many people experience this as well, both males and females. And yeah, to be completely honest, if you like, first we have to define what is crap in terms of um, good and bad food. And usually, food, unless it has a bunch of not so good things added to it, then it's difficult to categorize food as good and bad because it's just different components. What would you define as good and bad things added to it? Yeah, even that's a tough question, but potentially like different types of preservatives or uh, emulsifiers. Uh, But then again, there's not been a lot of conclusive research on that. So like when you say crap food, it's is is that ice cream? Because all ice cream has, it's a bunch of uh, maybe a little bit of saturated fat, some sugars, but Mm -hmm. fruit has sugar as well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And ice cream, you know, it still has calcium. It's still, you know, it's basically just high fat cream. Mm. So there's going to be more nutritious and less nutritious foods. I think that's a better way of categorizing it. More nutritious, obviously, being your fruit and veg, whole grains, etc. Um, less nutritious being food that does not have is not as micronutrient dense or doesn't have as much fiber, polyphenols, etc. So yeah, and for myself, I focus on because uh, yeah, at the moment each day is between 700 to 800 grams of carbs and obviously I can't do that all from oats and brown rice, brown pasta. Well, to be <laughs> honest, we've tried before and Jack and I really did used to be in this mentality. I remember us having so many conversations years ago when we were in our first few years of our nutrition studies and we're like, man, wouldn't people just be so healthy if all they ate was brown rice and brown pasta, you know, and oats and just chicken breast, you know, and they never ate anything that was refined, you know, they would just be the healthiest people. And 
I certainly know that Jack tried to do that for a little bit of time and, you know, fill his carbohydrate amount, you know, with just like big bowls of wholemeal pasta and you were eating so many lentils and brown rice. But I guess at that time, even then you were so stuffed, but your carbohydrates weren't nearly at the level they are now. And you were eating a much higher fat diet to, uh, you know, make up for mm. those extra calories. Yeah. To be honest, I think the person to talk about here is you because you probably have between three and 400 grams of carbs in your off season <laughs> and you don't have a single like processed carbohydrate in there. So I know. I'm going to reverse <laughs> this to you. I know. The truth is I, I really do love eating high volumes of food. And if I can, you know, fill up an entire tray full of a kilogram of potatoes, Personally, I would just prefer that over a bowl of super duper sugary cereal with some honey. Like, I, I don't know. I've always been a high volume food person. <laughs> it's who I am at heart. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing wrong with basically adding in some of the less nutritious foods to hit your targets. Because if you, sure, if you want to be the healthiest person possible and we're taking performance out of it and your, the physique sport aspect, then yes. Just consume your whole grain carbohydrates, fruits and vegetables, etc. But if you're looking to pursue those goals, um, a higher carbohydrate approach, a slightly lower fat, higher protein, then yes, you probably are going to have to include some of those other less nutritious foods in order to accomplish that. Because yeah, as Tierra said, I could probably hit maybe 500 very uncomfortably of pure whole grains, etc., it would really, even now on my leg days, I'm kind of suffering because of the amount of food I'm eating. And it's all going to be individual as well. There's, I know people, the person who comes to mind is Shane Little, who has to eat an absurd amount of food and he, he can still perform in the gym. Whereas mm. I'm at the moment struggling, but I know he eats more than me. Man, so. man up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to come down to the individual as well. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. So, you know, give a few examples, Jack, of, you know, like your current diet, what would you say are quote unquote less nutritious foods that you've recently added in to try to hit your carb target, to try to hit your total calorie target? So in each meal, I'll have a foundation of nutritious foods in order to accomplish uh, my nutritional goals for the day and basically, yeah, not be deficient. Uh, So for example, breakfast, I'll still have low fat yogurt and oats and two pieces of fruit. Um, but I will also have like some cornflakes and rice bubbles as well on top to bulk up the carbs for lunch, similar approach. I'll have, still have like fruit as not fruit, vegetables, a very energy dense vegetable with lean protein, but then I'll also have hot cross buns, um, white bread as well. Cause it's prior to my workout. Again, same in the afternoon, I'll have like, um, wholemeal flour, which is still very carb dense, but I'll have some ice cream fruit as well and yeah just follows that pattern where satisfy my nutrient requirements but also i know it's not realistic to have like 300 grams of wholemeal flour which is like a lot yeah and that's a buttload of fiber too (laughs) but yeah i think that it's just so interesting obviously because we've been together for almost four years now and i have seen your diet change in so many ways incrementally as your carbohydrates have gotten higher and higher and guys our shelves you know at home have certainly changed like 
years ago, Jack would have never had ice cream in the fridge. He would have never had Nutella on the shelf. He wouldn't eat cereal. He'd only eat oats. Like to me, it's, it's, is really, really interesting. God, you'd never see Jack eat white bread or a hot cross bun, but you know, now they're just on the daily, right? So it is super interesting. And I think it says a lot about us too, because we certainly have become a lot more open-minded to nutrition and especially sports nutrition and recognizing that nutrition and you know sporting performance it's so much more than just the nutrients that you eat you know like sometimes you do have to make small sacrifices for not filling your food with just an abundance of fruits and vegetables and whole grains right like sometimes to actually be able to perform at a high level and still feel comfortable from a digestive standpoint as long as you are hitting your bases so as long as you're getting in two serves of fruit per day, five serves of vegetables, you know, around that 30 grams of fiber per day, you're getting in enough protein. As long as you hit your bases with that, then whatever else you have to make up, you know, in order to hit your caloric intake, in order to hit your macros, it really is okay to fill that with a little bit less nutrient-dense food. I think we should disclaim that it... We're not saying it's more healthy to eat less nutritious foods. We're no. just saying it does satisfy those performance goals. But if you, it is healthier to not eat less nutritious foods. Yes, absolutely. We would we would always advocate for oats over a hot cross bun. Probably, you know, when health is in the question. But I think Jack is a very special circumstance as well because I don't know many people eating upwards of 700, 800 grams of carbs per day. So. For the average person, the majority of your diet probably should be filled with very nutrient-rich foods that still hit your macronutrient targets. It's only when you start getting to those real extremes where you just physically can't stomach it, you know? Too much fiber, too much food bulk, it's actually impeding on your results and you're not actually able to achieve your goals. So that's where, you know, you should speak with a dietitian, you should speak with a nutritionist, and you should try to slightly modify your diet to make sure that you can have the best of every world. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very good summary for this question. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to another one. Okay, so this one says, are vegan protein blends absorbed as efficiently as whey if protein amounts are equated? So I think that this is a really awesome question, especially because, you know, there is a push for people to eat more of a plant-based diet. You know, some people do opt for more vegan protein powders over whey protein powders simply due to digestive issues. You know, some people even anecdotally report that they might get acne from whey protein powders. So this is an awesome question. But when we're essentially thinking about a protein powder, right? We pretty much want to cover our bases for getting in all of the essential amino acids and also hitting a leucine threshold of at least two grams within that protein serve in order to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Now, in order to achieve that, you'd usually need around 25 to 30 grams of whey protein powder. And that amount of powder is usually going to provide you within the range of 20 to 25 grams of actual protein. And you know, that is going to provide all the essential amino acids and at least two grams of leucine. Now, in order to get 
enough essential amino acids from vegan and plant-based sources, you usually need to combine different plant-based sources because they are limiting in one or more essential amino acids. So for example, pea and soy protein, they're both limiting in the essential amino acid methionine, right? And then hemp protein, that's actually limiting in quite a few essential amino acids, including leucine, isoleucine, valine, and lysine, right? And then brown rice protein, that's actually limiting in the amino acid lysine. So you want to, when you look on the back of a vegan protein brand, right? You want to make sure that it is a protein blend predominantly and preferably a blend of probably pea, soy, and brown rice protein. So that's going to ensure that you are getting all of the essential amino acids there. And another thing to take into account is that the actual protein content in terms of the weight from that protein powder is going to be significantly lower in plant-based sources compared to whey. So for example, you know, a whey protein source is usually going to be around that 90% protein in terms of the total weight. Whereas a plant-based source, you know, it's probably going to be anywhere between like 50 to maybe 80% of that weight is actual protein. So if you were to have 25 grams of whey, this would actually be equivalent to getting around 50 grams of pea powder, you know, 50 grams of soy powder, or 50 grams of brown rice powder in order to get that same amount of leucine and the same amount of essential amino acids. And that actually equates to more protein as well because around 25 grams of whey, you actually are going to need more protein from a pea or a soy or a brown rice protein source or a mixture of those in order to get all of those essential amino acids and in order to get enough leucine. So 25 grams of whey, you're gonna need close to around 40 grams of a plant-based protein source in order to still reap the same nutritional benefits. And I think this is something really important to emphasize because you know protein recommendations in terms of kilogram of body weight, right? are 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight of protein per day. And you might actually hear some people say that, oh, vegans and vegetarians, right? They can actually go toward the lower end of that. But that's not true. In fact, vegans and vegetarians, those following plant-based diets, arguably actually need to consume more total protein than an omnivore who is consuming, you know, all of these animal products simply because of the protein quality. So I would argue that someone following a plant-based diet should actually be consuming closer to that 2 or 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day, actually consuming more protein compared to an omnivore, you know, who's consuming meat, you know, and eggs and dairy and stuff like that, they can probably afford to consume closer to that 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So that is something really, really important to keep in mind. And I think that a few reasons why uh, those who follow plant-based diets actually need more total protein is because when you are acquiring protein through a plant source, you have to think about what else you're consuming with that plant source too. So for example, imagine you're getting all of your protein from beans or all of your protein from lentils, right? 
you're not only consuming the protein, but you're also consuming all of the resistant starch, all of the fiber, everything else that is in that food. And it's actually quite difficult to digest. So arguably you might not even be absorbing all of that protein either. So you might have to eat a larger quantity of food, more protein overall, to actually absorb and be able to utilize the same amount of amino acids and protein compared to if you were to just like eat a piece of chicken or something. So yeah, I know that's a lot of me talking. And uh, in, in terms of the speed of absorption, so pretty much uh, soy and brown rice protein are going to be absorbed a little bit quicker compared to something like pea or hemp protein. But you know, when we're thinking about speed of absorption, you know, on a long-term scale, we know that you don't necessarily need to have a protein shake right and have it be absorbed within the next 30 minutes. Otherwise, you're not going to grow any muscle. You know, these things happen literally over hours and over days. So as long as you're splitting up protein boluses throughout the day, I would argue that speed of absorption doesn't really matter that much. And it's certainly going to be heavily influenced and very difficult to control right? If you're actually consuming protein in a mixed meal. Yeah. Tiara was very excited to answer this one. So I let her take the floor. <laughs> if you can't tell, I love my protein. <laughs> but yeah, the, we actually referenced this information of an infographic from Instagram by comp eat nutrition. And yeah, I don't really have much else to add on that. Just that there is a lot of talk about like whey protein versus vegan protein. And I do think that if the essential amino acids are accounted for, as well as the leucine content, then where there's really not that much difference. So mm -hmm. not something to really work yourself up over. Yeah, exactly. Like just go with whatever pref you prefer and whatever suits you best. Mm. Cause yeah, companies like Macromike, like they taste incredible. They are a vegan protein, but I'm pretty sure that the essential amino acids are accounted for as well mm -hmm. as the leucine. So yeah. yeah, in that case, yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Oh man, <laughs> Macro Mike have it every day on my oats. So yummy. Okay, so I'm going to ask this next question because I'm pretty sure it's directed at Jack. <laughs> All right, so it says podcast question targeted for males most likely. Body hair grooming advice to look your best for a comp. Razor, waxing, dealing with razor burns or irritated skin. How long should you do this before the comp? Thank you. You guys have a great show. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I would hope that uh, females don't take my advice on this because they <laughs> probably know a lot more than me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, take, take this with a grain of salt. It's what, again, it's by no means evidence-based, but it kind of makes sense to me, to what I did and what I suggest for my clients. So what, yeah, so what we do is what I'd recommend, uh, probably from the starter prep is at least doing your legs because that's where most people get razor burn and not, you don't really have to razor them, but, uh, just starting off with electric razor. Um, you can even start razoring them at first with a wet razor. And unless you have really sensitive skin, I would hope that your body, like your hair follicles would just get used to um, shaving once a week or so. So how far out from a competition would you recommend start using an electric razor? I would say like 20 weeks or even mm -hmm. when you start prep 25 weeks. Sweet. 
And yeah, so probably about from about like maybe five to eight weeks out, I would also start using an exfoliating, um, not scrub, like just a mitt or something. And that'll help the tan sink in a lot better as well. It'll potentially help with the ingrown hairs, etc. So that's something I would definitely recommend. I wouldn't go for something like waxing. I'll do something that's easy for you to sustain like the razor or electric razor. And yeah, there is for some people who have sensitive skin like pale, pale skin or they've never shaved before, then razor burn is just something you're gonna have to deal with. Um, but I would say getting your skin used to it and not going crazy, like not trying to do it every second day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what about for the comp, you know, because obviously you need to shave your whole body for a competition, right? Yeah, I would use a definitely a wet razor for that not an electric razor because it doesn't bring the hair down enough and that's where exfoliating i think will help as well because that again it helps the tan sink in better and because yeah by no means you don't want a uneven tan at all uh yeah but i'm really not the person to ask maybe ask a beauty therapist or something like that one thing i would say i just want to chime in and say it probably is helpful for guys to uh have a girlfriend during comp, even though libido goes down the toilet, you know, still be nice to her on the day that you need to get your body all smooth and hairless because you're probably gonna need to hop in the shower with your girlfriend with two or three razors and uh, shave the entire body. And because I know there's a lot of nooks and crevices and especially like your back, like where would you have been without me if I couldn't have shaved your back? You would have had a hairy back on stage. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it probably would have cost me a few places as well. So thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I, that's that's why I'm here. I'm here to support and shave you. <laughs> yeah, you did a good job. Only a few minor cuts, I think. I didn't cut you. You cut yourself. <laughs> it's all in the past now. We'll move on to the next question. <laughs> okay, so this question says, is there any type of food or spice which can help digestion, especially during bulking? So... There, the short answer is there's not really. I would say the more important aspect is ensuring that you avoid anything that does upset your digestive system um, and covering your bases. So for example, having at least 30 grams of fiber a day, not having like 100 plus grams of fiber a day because that'll more than likely upset your stomach and ensuring that you stay hydrated. Uh, but yeah, other than that, like there's no... Like, it's not like turmeric or, I don't know, cumin is going to magically help your digestion. It's more about knowing what works for you. So avoiding, let's say, uh, quinoa, if you find that it um, you've struggled to digest that, or corn, etc. Or uh, dried chili flakes. <laughs> yes, dried chili flakes. But yeah, something, this is unrelated to the question, sort of, but... Uh, there was something that I reposted on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago now by Jackson Pios, and he said uh, people need to learn to differentiate between uh, having digestive issues and bloating versus just feeling full. And I, f I really liked that, especially because I sort of go through it myself. Like, just because you are feeling full if you've eaten a big meal doesn't mean you're having digestive issues. Mm -hmm. It just means you have a full stomach pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Like, did you just eat a kilogram of potatoes and a massive bowl of salad the size of your head? Or <laughs> did I just do that? Hmm. <laughs> uh, 
uh, but or do you actually have irritable bowel syndrome? So like you really do have to differentiate between food babies and irritable bowel syndrome or like an actual digestive disease because yeah, if you're putting a lot of food in your belly, dude, it's gonna extend a little bit. You're probably gonna have a little bit of gas because that's just normal. That's how our body deals with food. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and it, it is normal for, for people who get freaked out of, over having some gas, like that is also normal as well. It's normal to burp. Uh, it's when, yeah, those like, yeah, we could go into a bit more detail about that, but I don't think we need all the, to. All the wonders and the noises and the smells of digestion. How beautiful. The different octaves of burping and what they mean. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, in short, I, I don't think there's anything magical, you know, no matter how much lemon juice you drink or how many cucumbers you put in your water or something, you know, it's not necessarily going to make digestion an absolute breeze. It really is about trial and error, you know, find out what actually makes you truly bloated. So for example, if you do eat a small quantity of that food and you notice that you do just get awful cramps, right? Or you start like farting all over the place, you get terrible gas, right? You And that happens on a reoccurring basis. Maybe you have to say, okay, maybe I should avoid red onions, right? But like, <laughs> if you just have a big meal, you know, and you burp, like just <laughs> don't eat for a few hours, you know, and, and let it settle down. <laughs> But yeah, of course, there are products uh, such as Movicol, which they are constructed. They're more, if you want to call it medical or pharmaceutical, that will help your um, digestive issues. But they're not, they're not, of course, naturally occurring in food. They might speed up your gastric motility to help you go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would only consider those with after seeing a GP or gastroenterologist. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever go down this like the road of laxatives, it can be a slippery slope. People can become very dependent on them. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Don't do that unless you're actually given medical advice that that is necessary. And you know, I think that this next question actually relates nicely because the previous question was asking about, you know, what things should I include within my diet in order to assist with digestion? This one's more relating to, should I exclude certain things to assist with digestion? So essentially this listener, you know, she's prepping for her second show. She's using a flexible dieting approach and she's found that that really helps with reducing her urges to binge unlike her last prep, which is awesome, right? But her question is, she's fitting in little treats here and there which have artificial sweeteners. When or should she cut them when she's leading up into the comp? Mm, so yeah, this is a good question and one that a lot of people do uh, take into account. And a lot of people, of course, do cut out artificial sweeteners um, with the intention that they just don't want to risk any bloating. They want to make sure they look their leanest and their best. But... It's going to depend on the individual is the main answer. But personally, for myself, what I would do is I don't really bother. I just keep things consistent. And I do that with my clients as well. So, for example, if you're having... Because like a lot of people forget that protein powder does have artificial sweeteners and yet they'll still keep it in. Um, so, for example, VPA, they use sucralose as their main artificial sweetener. But yeah, so let's say you're having protein powder, you're having the sugar-free maple syrup regularly. You might be having stevia in your tea and coffee or whatever. 
Um, if you, if you look your best like three or four weeks out and you still have all of that in, then why not keep that for show day as well? If anything, by removing it, you're introducing a new variable of removing that. Um, and you don't really know what's going to happen. So what I would do is if you look your best with it in, then keep it in maybe potentially something like sugar alcohols from the sugar-free maple syrup. I would maybe, cause they have a higher tendency to cause bloating. So I might consider taking them out. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to make. You know, these things are only a problem if they cause you problems. But if you are, you know, fully adapted to them, your gut tolerates them just fine. There's no need to change anything just because the competitor next to you is like, oh yeah, man, I cut out all artificial sweeteners for peak week. But like, why? <laughs> uh, and yeah, that is an important point in terms of, you know, the different types of artificial sweeteners because there are nutritive ones and there's non-nutritive ones. So the nutritive ones, especially, essentially nutritive means that it provides some form of nutrition. So in that case, we're looking at the sugar alcohols. So things like mannitol, xylitol, sorbitol, because these are partially fermented carbohydrates that can go into the large bowel and can be fermented. You know, they can cause some, um, create some short chain fatty acids. They sometimes do cause gas. Uh, so those can be fermented and usually per gram, they usually do contain between two to four calories per gram. But then you do have your other non-nutritive artificial sweeteners. So it's things like saccharin, things like aspartate, right? These don't have any calories. These are just sweeteners. Uh, so those are probably less likely. I think they would have like 0.00001. Okay, 0. 0.0000. They are very, very minusculely nutritive. Uh, so <laughs> who flipping knows? I'd say they have zero, man. <laughs> um, round it down. Yeah, round it down, round it up, do whatever you want, just <laughs> make it round. But yeah, uh, I would say just pay attention to the type of artificial sweetener that you are consuming. But yeah, man, if you want to enjoy your morning coffee, you know, with your equal on the day of show day, because that's what you've done every day for the last 25 weeks, flip and enjoy it. Because if it hasn't caused you any problems, you know, it's not going to cause you a problem that day. So yeah, that's that. Boom. All right. So last question for the day. This one asks, what's some good slash most effective splits when training five times per week? So again, the answer to this is going to be very individual, but uh, to sort of broaden the spectrum, it's really going to depend on one, what your training goals are. So are you a bodybuilder versus a physique sport individual uh, other, or the alternative for girls as well? The other is what your weak points are, and you need to also fit in your volume requirements with considerations for what I just mentioned. So for example, if you're like a physique individual, um, obviously your priority will be upper body as opposed to lower. So like they would be able to do something like push, pull, push, pull and a leg day. Maybe even on one of those pull days, having a, like a lower body dominant pulling movement, like an RDL or a deadlift and compared to a bodybuilder. So they would want to be training legs at least twice a week. So they might do something like an upper, lower, a push, pull legs or an upper, lower, uh, upper, lower, upper, which is what I do. I do three upper, two lower, but the big, what it really comes down to is acknowledging the volume, what you're able to recover from. So for example, for me, since I do three upper body days, I do have to be careful 
of the volume on those days because three times a week is fairly high frequency and especially for my back as well because I, I pretty much do back five times a week because like I squat well I will hopefully get back to squatting soon on my first leg day second leg day I'm doing RDLs and then of course I train back on my three upper days as well so it really just comes down to allocating volume to each of your days and ensuring that you get the adequate frequency so training each muscle group at least twice a week maximum improvement so again if you're a physique person you don't necessarily need to maximize your leg development but bro what if i want to do a bro split then you're not going to maximize your gains what tiara really likes a bro split but i've I've been trying to get her to change but she she's just being quite stubborn dude how do you think i grew these glutes like i only need to do hip thrusts once per week and bam the magic's done Yeah, if you train them anymore, you might lose muscle. Oh God, don't want that. (laughs) But guys, yeah, in all seriousness, I'd agree with everything Jack just said. I guess it would only, you know, just depend on whether you are a female or a male because physique wise, you know, some females do have, you know, they do place a larger emphasis on growing their lower body compared to their upper body. So it's quite common for a female to train lower body three times per week and upper body only twice. However, some females are very lower body dominant and need to bring up their upper body. So they might only train lower body twice per week. And then yes, upper body three times, or you can even train lower body twice, upper body twice, and then do a full body day. Or you can be like Jeff Nippard and train full body every single day. (laughs) How about that? That would be tough. I don't think I could do that. Yeah, that would be tough. So that wraps up all of our questions for today's episode. However, we always finish on one thing that we learned this week and Tiara is going to kick it off with one thing that she learned this week. Okay, so one thing that I learned this week and this is probably only relevant for people in Queensland, like specifically, but worldwide, I think that this is relevant for everyone, right? I'm pretty sure just this week or at least in the past few weeks, Queensland has implemented a new law that if you are caught holding or touching your phone while you are driving, right, you get a $1,000 fine and you lose four demerit points, which I think is crazy, but I also think that that is, that's amazing. I, I really, really hope that saves a hell of a lot of people's lives. I hope that saves, you know, a lot of disasters from happening on the roads because We all know, you know, a a lot of car crashes do occur because people are distracted on their phones, which is just, it's so silly. It's such a small little thing that can turn into an absolute catastrophe, right? So I just want to warn everyone, you know, don't touch your phone. Like when you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel, you know, and just listen to the radio or already have your phone set up somewhere else or get someone else to answer the call or, you know, Do whatever you need to do. Don't do it while you're driving because it's way too dangerous. And also it's really, really going to hurt your wallet, right? If it doesn't hurt someone else in a car crash and uh, also you're going to lose four demerit points. So leave your phone alone. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very good that they've brought out that new law. Yeah, I know. A thousand dollars is harsh, but you know, you think about if you were in a car crash, right? Not only is that going to cost you thousands of dollars in damage, right? Uh, but also, you know, all the time going through insurance and, you know, potentially really, really hurting yourself and hurting someone else, losing your life. So 
a thousand dollars like i'm surprised it could even be higher they'll probably make it even higher in the future but yeah so that's what i learned this week guys jack what did you learn so i mine's also a fairly negative uh i guess well tiara's wasn't that negative but uh yeah i sort of learned what it's like to be sick again because i hadn't i was sick all of last week hadn't been that sick for probably like oh man maybe since like 2012 so that's been a solid seven to eight years and yeah it was just very bad gastro won't go into too much of the details but it really laid me like flat on my back like wasn't able to eat i lost about four to five kilos and yeah i regained regained most of that now a little bit of strength loss but it sort of allowed me to empathize with people who do get sick and because yeah it really isn't pleasant especially when it involves nausea and yeah diarrhea and stuff like that being having a cold is a bit different but yeah it just wasn't pleasant and glad it's over now yeah it was really rough watching you go through that man like especially for you someone who is trying so hard to eat as much as possible you know and put on weight and just to be knocked out for five days and not be able to eat hardly anything it was just it was rough but uh now we are getting all the food back into Jack. He downed two massive pizzas, homemade pizzas, the other night and um, yeah, eaten all the food. That's one of the reasons why Nutella's actually hit the shelf this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. one, what? Tell them, what was one of the things you were actually able to keep down last week that was almost kind of strategic just because you needed some energy and it was so hot? Yeah, we actually have a 7-Eleven next to us. So I made use of the Slurpees there, uh, the Coke ones, which are nice. And yeah, I just tried to keep down some uh, the lean protein shakes from VPA. They have a bit of extra carbohydrates as well as protein. But yeah, I was pretty much just trying to um, wait it out really. Yeah, staying clear of any of those high fiber foods because they just go, shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you later, literally. <laughs> yeah, glad Tierra's not sick. And hopefully it's another eight to 10 years until I'm sick again. God, I hope so. Oh, I'm, dude, like if I would have caught that gastro bug and been knocked out for a week, like three weeks out from comp, like mm. that would have been rough. Like, <laughs> a bit too much weight loss. Dude, holy shit. Like, <laughs> Talk about getting shredded in the worst way possible. Losing five kilograms in five days. No thanks. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> that could be a pretty crazy peak week protocol. Just um, catch a nasty bug. and. No, it's quite good <laughs> for obese people, actually. It's uh, good for them to shit their pants? Well, it's <laughs> it's an effective means of weight loss. Jesus. Well, it's I'd say it's the wrong type of weight. You're losing so much fluid, man. Like, Jack, I, I said he looks so much better now that he's full again. But honestly, when Jack was just, like, depleted, you know, had hardly any fluid in him, like, no glycogen, it reminded me of his depletion week when he first competed. And I just looked at him like... God, I just really want to feed you all the carbs. Like, oh man, I want you to look full again. Oh, I care about you. But you're looking fantastic. <laughs> it's a hot day and let's just say he's not wearing a shirt today. All right, guys. So that is the end of our 61st episode on our podcast. If you 61st, 60, 61th? How do you say 61th? 6 one. That's the number of this podcast. All right. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we will catch you next week. 
See you guys.